got cancer. We lost the baby. My dad said I'd never make it. I feel so hopeless. My wife just left my kids. I can't win. The doctor said there's no cure. I just want out. All right. Glad that uh, you are here this weekend and want to welcome everybody here, all of our campuses, and all the people to be tuning in, whether you are live with us or whether you are remote, we are glad that you are part of this church. On your seat, you'll find the notes. If you want to pick those up, you can follow along with me uh, in our series called Pitfalls. While you do that, let me um, quickly, you probably saw uh, at whatever campus you pulled into, uh, our high schoolers and junior hires uh, barbecuing, and here's what's going on this weekend. Um, we allow each of our departments once a year an opportunity to do fundraising, and the fundraising has to be pointed towards uh, some type of ministry. So our high schoolers and our junior hires do theirs at all of our campuses uh, to raise money for their missions trips. So uh, high schoolers are headed to the Dominican Republic uh, this coming summer, and junior hires are headed uh, to Mexico this coming summer. So at all of the campuses, they'll be doing uh, hamburgers and hot dogs, and here is what we would like you to do. When the service is over this weekend, would you stop by there? And would you grab something to eat? And if you go, well, I, I, could I feed my whole family for two or three bucks? You could, but we'll point you out next weekend that you did that. <laughs> and and we, you don't want to, here's, here's what we really wanted to pay. Pay $100 for a hamburger. How about that? Or $50 for a hot dog. Why would I do that? Because it all goes to missions and it helps our young people connect right now to missions. And here's what we have found to be true that um, the thing that will last in their lives later on, 10, 15, 20 years from now, will be the things that they do that are for eternal nature and eternity's sake. And this is one of those things I know as a former youth pastor, I've got people in this church when I was a youth pastor that attend here. And I, I can tell you this to be true. Most of those people, if not all of them, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity that maybe there's one or two that didn't. But right now as I'm sitting here thinking about it, all of the ones in all of our campuses that were a part of my youth group when I was a youth pastor, they're still around. They were committed to missions, outreach, or something more than just going to church on a weekend. There was something more that kept them then uh, as a part of the kingdom and a part of the family later on. And so I would just, I would encourage you. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to help kids be a part of something that's much bigger than just hanging out over the summer. And if you get a chance tonight, tomorrow, stop and pick up a hamburger hot dog. It is for a great cause. Um, last thing that I want to do, last couple of weekends, uh, uh, two of our pastors helped to teach in our series, Jonathan Murley and Pastor Dan DeMay. I thought they both did outstanding jobs, and I wanted to publicly thank them. Can we just let them know how much we appreciate them? Um, just both of them outstanding great teachers and i appreciate that and then uh, a report too i why this would be remiss to to not say this uh last last weekend chris and i uh were at lakewood for the uh grand opening um at 350 or 60 people were at were at the grand opening it was packed we the parking lot was absolutely filled it was it was wonderful and pastor evan and emily um already are just doing such a great job over there and folks I want to remind you, if you've got family up in that area or friends, whatever, let them know about that right there at Wadsworth, Hampton. Uh, it is, uh, it, it's a tremendous benefit if you're on that side of town to be able to attend there and get involved. So I uh, want to uh, let you know about that and just give you the good report. Okay, 
the series is called Pitfalls, and you recognize that uh, what we've tried to teach in this, I guess our, our tagline is, I just want out. And we've tried to teach with the idea of pitfalls. Uh, first, first week, we taught three ways into it, that you jump in, you fall in, or you pushed in. Two ways out of it. You climb out of it or you're delivered out of it. We spent some time talking about some of the results of being in a pit, uh, how we minister to people in a pit, a number of different things. Uh, tonight, a little bit, boy, I, uh, here's one of these ones where maybe you, if you look real quickly at what the subject is, you will not be envious of what I have to teach on tonight. Um, this, this, when we were writing the series, we said to ourselves, uh, in talking about pits, what kind of pits will we deal with? I, not flippantly, but I guess just off the cup, said, said well, uh, hell is the ultimate pit. And they held me to that, to, to teach on that. And recently, I don't know if you saw it, uh, Time Magazine had a cover on it that said, um, where is hell? And it wasn't asking the question geographically. It was asking the question that uh, churches in uh, the northern hemisphere are not teaching on heaven and hell. And they did a survey asking evangelical churches, when was the last time you taught on hell? And it was in the almost 90 percentile churches had not taught on the idea of hell in more than five years. That, that's a pretty radical statement. Now, I, I would say then uh, in our series, in thinking to myself, have I taught on it before? We have. But I would say it's not obviously, how many of you are glad we don't teach on that every weekend? <laughs> That's not one that you're just like, wow, I, I'm excited to teach on that. Although, say, say this, that Jesus did talk about it. It is in the Bible and therefore worthy of us spending some time talking about it. And I think you could agree with the statement that the ultimate pit would have to be the pit of hell. Without question about that. So here's, here's, um, here's where we're going to, to go tonight. Um, I, I have changed up the message a little bit according to the notes. And uh, I'll explain it this way. Chris and I, this past week, um, one, one night late, we were, we were flipping channels. And a special was on about Johnny Carson. I don't know if anybody else saw that. But we, we I, I don't know, we were five minutes into it and started watching it. It turns out to be a two-hour deal and we we got engrossed in it we're watching it here was the thing that they that they t let me make sure for how many of you remember johnny car yeah let me yeah don't don't make a face because you'd be surprised how many people don't know who he was um so we, we're watching it the tonight show um and they made this statement about johnny carson that the reason at at the at the apex of his career he was the most watched television personality and in particular, he ruled late-night television. And this is what they said about him. He had a particular gift that when people would tune in, he, had, he, he could make whoever they were, whatever demographic they came from, he had a way of making everybody feel good after watching him. And I heard that. And I thought to myself, that's what I would like when people come to <laughs> church. I would like for them to leave going, he had a particular way of making everybody feel good. And then I realized I'm preaching on hell that weekend, <laughs> right there. <laughs> and I told Chris, I said, therein lies the biggest dilemma. Maybe that's why people don't teach on difficult subjects today. Because pastors, rather than having to, to understand, it's not, you're not called in a popularity contest. And you're not called, uh, ultimately, 
I, it's not, I don't stand up here I, in order to make everybody, I want everybody to like me, but if everybody likes me, I probably haven't done my job effectively all the time. Because not everything that you read in the Bible is easy when you read it. Do you agree with that? Not everything goes down easy. Not everything hits you. And, and here, the truth of the matter is, truth is not supposed to do that. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What we didn't get recorded is that he said it'll kill you before it makes you free. And so as we, as we talk about this tonight, I, I, I need to say that writing it, I, I, I did this. Um, when, I was, when I was a teenager... 16, and I'll, I'll hit it here in just a second. Um, ACDC had a song. <laughs> Some of you are ahead of me, you heathens. You know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, it came out in 1979. I was 16 years old, and it was Highway to Hell. And I, I, um, I had decided I was going to use that song this weekend and use it in the negative pressure of it, meaning that I'll show you the lyrics here in just a second. I was going to play the song, and I was going to have the lyrics up. And I, um, I am convinced that I could do it in a way where, where you would understand why I would pick that song. But here was the problem. At about 11 o'clock last night, I could not rest. And I, I t I'm telling the truth right now. I, was, I, I could not, the Holy Spirit just flat out, he was grieved, and it had me grieved. And God told me, you cannot play that song. You, you cannot, even, even using it in the context that you're going to use it in, you cannot play that song. And here was, here was what I felt. I felt that, I felt that giving the, the enemy any glory whatsoever would be the wrong outcome, even if I'm trying to use it for the purpose of exposing a lie. So I... I I cut it, and I just said, some of our staff had actually worked. Thomas Ewing and uh, Pastor Marcus had actually spent time working, putting together. They took the song, they took a video, and they put the whole thing together for me. And they spent a lot of hours in it. I had to contact them late last night, and I had to say, I'm sorry, but I, I just feel like the Lord told me no, and I can't do it. And, and they were very gracious to me, and they said, hey, we get it, and that's our job, to listen to what God is saying. I did not feel like this part was wrong, and I want to show you the negative pressure. Now, before I show it, let me say this. The reason I'm exposing this is because I would say that the, the modern mindset concerning hell is that it's more of a joke than it is a reality or something to be serious about. And so at 16, here was a shirt that I, I wore this shirt right here, if they can pull it up. Look at it. It says, I like ACDC, and I'll fight anyone who says different. And I put that shirt on, and I, I had gone to a world concert in 79, got that shirt, put that shirt on, and the theme of the concert was Highway to Hell. And I wore that shirt, and then they would blast the song, and I'm not going to play the song, but here were the lyrics to the song. Verse 1 is, living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride, asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride, don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing I would rather do. Going down, party time. My friends are going to be there too. And then the chorus, I'm sure that most of you have probably heard it. It's already ringing in your head. I'm on a highway to hell. 
I'm on a highway to hell, I'm on a highway to hell, I'm going down. And then, I, I don't know if we put the next part in, but it goes, no stop signs, speed limits. Um, he gets into the whole, the whole issue here and sees it as a joke. And I remember at 16 wearing that shirt, listening to that song, no way was my mentality that I want to go to hell. In no way was my thought ever that it would be a good thing to do. But I, I'm gonna, the truth of the matter is, I would have put it in the category that it, hell's not really out there. And if it is, how bad could it really be? And if God is love, how would a God who's love ever put anybody in hell? So the problem with that is that that's not in the Bible. That's a thought and a mindset that's out there that I would say is taking hold of most people today. And even in the church, the reason I think it's not taught in the church is there's so much confusion. Even by leadership, I would rather be liked than to ever tell somebody that you could end up in hell. And I'm not so sure what really that looks like anyway. So maybe if I just, maybe if I just talk about the good stuff, stay away from the difficult stuff, it'll all be okay. I, I would say that may be more dangerous than anything else. And I, this past Easter, when I was writing the message, one of the things that I wrote down about Jesus is that people say today, you, you'll get this, here's, here's a modernized version of Christ. He was a good man. You ever heard that one right there? One of the things we have to learn to do, let's at least take Jesus at what he said about himself rather than what the common mindset is out there about who he is. Jesus himself said, I would rather you be hot or cold about me, but not lukewarm. And to say he's just a good man, a nice person, or someone who would never, ever deal with the issue of hell, that, it, let's at least take him at face value for what he said. Let him speak for himself. Do you agree with that? So in preparation for this message, I had to change it up a little bit, and I, I'm going to go this direction. I want to quickly talk to you of three myths or three lies about hell. Three myths or three lies about hell. Here's the first one that I, I feel like this is probably the dominant thought that is in the world today. The first one, it just does not exist. It does not exist. Matthew chapter 10 Verse 28, these are the words of Jesus himself. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If we're going to take Jesus at face value, and rather than just take modern thoughts about Christ just being a good guy or a prophet, let's take him as who he said he is. He said he's the son of God. He said he's the only one able to judge. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus himself begins to teach about a literal hell, yes or no, believers should believe in a literal hell. When I put down it does not exist, let me read a scripture to you. Paul wrote this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He said, we don't wrestle. Another word would be to fight, to spar, to contend with. He said, we don't contend against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers 
of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Throw this thought out to you that maybe the greatest strategy that the enemy has would be to convince people that he doesn't exist so that anything you struggle... How do you struggle against something that doesn't exist? How do you fight against something that you don't recognize or believe in? I would, I would submit to you that maybe the greatest strategy that the enemy works on with humanity is to convince people that he's not real, that he's not really there, that there really isn't any of these issues. Because if we don't believe that it's actually there, we never fight against that. Here's why Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What most people end up doing is when you end up in a situation, you see the person as the enemy. If you're married, can you or can you not see your spouse as an enemy? I think about it for a minute. I, in teaching about marriage principles, one of the things you have to recognize is your spouse is not your enemy. Your enemy is your enemy. And if you spend all of your time fighting against flesh and blood, how, how beautifully wicked smart is it to start a fight and then get out of the way and have the person fight with the wrong enemy? Spending all of your time and all of your effort and all of your energy wrestling against the wrong thing. If, if you're the enemy and you could do that, you have, you've won the battle. You're at least being victorious in the fight. And here Paul teaches this idea that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We've got to remember that we wrestle with spiritual wickedness, demonic principalities. We, we wrestle with the thoughts and the concept, the lies of this age. And I would submit to you that perhaps the biggest lie that the enemy tells is this lie. I'm not real. Because if people don't believe he's real, then hell's not real. And if hell's not real, then we don't have to worry about anything. I'll give you a great example of, of how I know this works. Um, 1994, Pastor uh, Murley and I, John was, um, John was 19. Is that right? 94? 21. Okay. 21. I was 19. No. Uh, <laughs> I did look like I was 19. Um, John and I led a group to Monterey, Mexico. We were in, in a border town of Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. We were at the missions group called Victorious Christian Harvesters. David Blanchard. Um, that's where our junior highs going this this summer with with victorious christian harvesters um we we led a group into mexico and then down into monterey mexico and while in monterey this this ministry's vision is uh, a million souls and a million bibles they want to give away a million bibles and they want to see a million people come to christ and i this guy is serious we would do street ministry now, i'm not against any, I'm not against you know, ministries that do construction and ministries that feed people. It's all necessary. It's all wonderful. It's all good. 
But if you're going to do that, you also should preach the gospel, man. If you're going to reach out to people and try to minister to them physically, you, you need to address the spiritual need too. Do both. So we were down there, and we were feeding people, and we were doing construction. But we'd also, we had teams of people who would do dramas, and you didn't have to, you, it was just little presentations of the gospel. And then we'd take one of the, the teens, and through an interpreter, we would, we would have them give the presentation of the gospel and ask for people who were standing there, if you want to know Christ, if you need mercy, if you need grace, if you need his life, right here where you are, raise your hand, we'll pray for you right now. And I am not, five, six hundred people at a time would come to Christ. It was, it was an amazing thing. And it seemed like everywhere we went, we were having this fantastic, uh, just, God would just go before us. And we ended up, um, Jonathan, see if you remember this, we ended up in a little um, barrio called La Coya Terra, which is, if you speak Spanish, the female coyote. And it was notorious for prostitutes and transvestites. And uh, we ended up in this place, and I've got a bunch of teenagers with me, and I was not prepared for what we walked into, let alone having all these teenagers with me. And it, it was literally, it was, it was very hardened people. So drugs were rampant. The lifestyle that they had chosen was exceptionally brutal. I mean, it was the poor of the poor who sold themselves for drugs. And we end up in this place. We'd had, we had had tremendous success every place we had gone to. And we end up in this place. We do a couple of the dramas. And we had gathered some people who watched us, but they, they laughed at us. And they mocked us. And at, at, the, at the end of the drama, I had one of the kids give a presentation. Not one person raised their hand. So I said, let's do another drama. We did another drama, and this time I took the microphone. And I gave the presentation. Not one person. They just laughed at us. So the kids are disappointed and discouraged. I don't know what to do. Jonathan, we're just, you know, what do we do? Maybe we should just leave here and go someplace else. And the Holy Spirit spoke to us and said, um, it's a, you've got a principality here. Every place else you've gone, this spirit was not dominant amongst the people. But you're in a place right now, they have given themselves over to something. And you're going to have to battle in a different way. And this is what the Lord told us to do. Kneel down in this dirty street. It was filthy. Kneel down in this dirty street and begin to out loud cry out for the soul of this place. So, I don't know, I, I, we had maybe 25 or 30 kids with us, something like that. So we get down, and um, at first it was nothing more than just the exercise of doing what we felt like the Lord told us to do. I'm not sure that, that there was really any emotion with it, but as we started to do it, the Holy Spirit just fell on us, and these kids began to weep and to cry. And, you know, as a pastor, I mean, that hits my heart. And now I'm watching all of these very hardened people they're not laughing anymore. They're watching what's going on. And a crowd began to gather. I mean, several hundred people have gathered around this little square that we're in. And after 15 minutes of just this intercession for the soul of this people, we get up and we do a drama again. And 
every person there raised their hand to find Jesus. So what was the difference? What happened? So we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't wrestle, we don't wrestle with a drug addict. So we don't wrestle with a prostitute. We don't wrestle with a transvestite. We would wrestle with a spirit that would want to hold people in a place where they don't know Christ. We would wrestle with a spirit that would want to blind people, would want to have them mock the truth or reject. And, and here's, here, I, I've tried to teach this before. Here's the thing. When a person is deceived, you cannot argue with the intellect and win. Deception is not broken by yelling at a person. Deception, I, I know, as parents, as parents we think that's, I, yes, it is, you dumb kid, I'll teach, it's deception at the level that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about stubbornness. And I'm not talking about a person, I'm talking a person who is sincerely deceived. It's not broken through an argument, and it's not broken by giving somebody a pamphlet. It is broken when the Spirit of God can penetrate the lie that veils a person's eyes. And in fact, the Scriptures say this, part of the power of the gospel is that a person has to turn to Christ for the veil to be broken. We think remove the veil and they'll see Christ. No, preach Christ and let Him remove the veil. Did you, I don't know if you caught what I just said. So that then if we, if we spend all of our time picketing and yelling and fighting, you won't change a heart. The Spirit of God has to penetrate a veil on the eyes, a heart that is hardened. A deception that is given to a person. Okay, follow me. Would it not be strategically brilliant to tell a lie, have a person believe the lie, leave the scene, leaving the person to fight with whatever is around there, but you who have done the damage, you're not even in the vicinity. How strategically brilliant is that of the enemy? This is why it has to be taught that we don't wrestle flesh and blood. Our enemy is not what we can see. It's what we can't see. The lie that hell does not exist. You recognize me saying to a person tonight within my earshot, hell is real. If they don't believe it, I haven't won because I've got the microphone. God must convince a person in a lie that there's a reality to spiritual things, that it won't end when you quit breathing. That it's not a big cosmic accident. Three myths about hell. 
The second one, party time. The song, again, I would say to you, ACDC in and of themselves, I, I don't think that they are writing it with the idea that it would be fun to go to hell. I think they're mocking the idea. Going down, party time, my friends are going to be there too. The Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he said these really powerful words about the reality of hell. He said, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, who is that? You remember that the enemy, one-third of the angels in heaven rebelled against God, and he cast them out of heaven. That's what's being referred to right here. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to, what's the word? And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. It goes on to say, we need to be careful not believing that God won't judge wickedness. Theologically, I don't want to go too deep with this right here because it will sidetrack me. When Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, he's talking about demonic principalities. Who are those demonic principalities? They're part of the third of heaven that was cast out that is here now to deceive mankind. To take down as many as they can. They hate God and they hate you. The idea that hell would be a party time is such deception. Here's what God says about hell. These angels were delivered into chains of darkness. I, I would say that probably the whole joke of fire and brimstone teaching, there, there's some truth to it. But let me say this too. Rather than manipulate anybody about hell, I don't think you serve Jesus to avoid hell. Serve Christ to gain heaven. But allow me to say this. Hell here the Bible describes one of the characteristics is darkness. You will not know. A friend from an enemy. It is not a party room, a party time, or some casual experience. And here's a lie. There is no purgatory in between. You're a liar. Find it in the Bible and then tell me. Revelations 19.9, this is what Jesus said. Blessed are those who receive an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me just say this very quickly. The devil is these two things, a liar and a thief. The Bible says that clearly, a liar and a thief. Jesus said, blessed are the ones who receive an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is the marriage supper of the Lamb? The day when this world is done and we all are with him in heaven. That is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The devil is a liar and a thief. Here's his counterfeit. Hell will be a party time. There's only going to be one party and it will not be in hell. It will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who receive an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of you would love to get that invitation? You can have it. And here it is. God invites everyone. 
everyone, say it with me, everyone, to spend eternity with him. Let me give you the last lie about hell, at least in this message, there's a way out. I'm not holding back. There's a way out. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark 9, 43 and 44, Jesus' words again. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell. Into fire, I want you to look at this, that shall never be quenched. Where, and then it's quoted, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched or put out. Jesus himself, let's at least take him for who he said he was. Don't come up with some modern theology that he's a good guy because Jesus never said he was a good guy. He said, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold, but don't get in between and call me a good guy. Make up your mind. I'm either the Lord or I'm a fraud, but don't get in the middle. Let's at least, at least the church should take him for who he said he is. And if that is true, then let's take for real when he says hell is a place where the worm will not die and the fire will not be put out. What does that mean? It means this. The quote there, if you're a study, you're going home and look it up. The quote there is that your brain will not shut off. You will not be extinguished. You will have the knowledge for eternity. It was not God who sent you to hell. You chose to reject him and the knowledge of your choices will play in your mind for eternity that's what it means I don't like you pastor I didn't say it let me go to what I think would be a better thing to teach on tonight. Three truths about heaven. You know, there are two kinds of people, listen. People are motivated by one of two things. They either flee nightmares or they pursue dreams. You understand that? They flee from a nightmare or they pursue a dream. So what do you mean? Some people are motivated by negative things and some people are motivated by positive things. Now, I would say to you, if you have to pick, pick the positive thing. But if all you got is the negative thing, we'll go with it. So let's, let's we'll try. Let me give you three truths about heaven. Bad people can go to heaven. Wow, I was hoping that I'd have people recognize what I just said. I'm going to say it slow. Here's how I need to phrase it. You can go to heaven. Romans 6.23, Paul writes this, the wages of sin is, try that on, on, come on, Lakewood campus right now, and Highlands Ranch, and Castle Rock, help me out, the wages of sin is, death. death, how many of you sin, how many, how many times do you have to blow it to not be perfect? Agreed? Yep. How many of you have blown it at least this many times? Yeah. Today. 
in the last 20 minutes. Speed, I just, we're laughing, but I skipped down to the nitty-gritty here because here's what I know to be true. You come to a salvation place in your life. You, you have this place where, where you, you meet. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And you meet him, and you get his life. And you are so grateful, and you are so humbled, and you are so thankful for what he's given you, the gift that he's given you. Here's what happens, though, to people in church. If they do not stay in that place of recognizing where they came from and who did it from them, they become very self-satisfied in their salvation. Then they begin to think it is based on a lifestyle, not life. And then we become very judgmental towards people who were just like us. And we become hardened. And the Father himself says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that every day you're trying to be saved. But it does mean to remember Every day, the only thing that makes you worthy to go to heaven is that God loved you so much that he chose you to go to heaven. The wages of sin is death. Everyone in this room has violated perfection. Look at this. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is a gift. Kelly, salvation is a gift. You cannot earn that gift. You cannot work hard for that gift. You cannot buy that gift. You cannot give enough money to get that gift. You can't pray enough to get, you can't go to church enough. You can't be nice enough. You can't do anything to earn this gift. It is given to you because he is full of mercy and grace. And it should, here's, it should humble you. It should knock you to your knees to recognize the only way I'm ever going to get there is because he loves me. Yes or no? It's the gift of God. second truth about heaven that I would teach you tonight is that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to go to heaven. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. That's a mouthful right there. But he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It is God's will that everyone be saved. It is God's desire that everyone know Jesus and know his life. I read a little autobiography this week of William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. You know, today the Salvation Army is known basically at Christmas time for what? Just ringing the bell. Booth grew up in England in the 1800s. His father was an alcoholic. He saw the devastation that happened to his family. God radically saved him. He was a street preacher to people who were very... That story I told you about, La Coya Terra, is what he faced every... He would be beat up. His autobiography, he would be beat up every day for preaching the gospel. 
At one point, he had a group of young people with him. And he was preaching the gospel in a very toughened part of London. And they began to be spit upon. And the people with Booth didn't know what to do. And this is what Booth turned around and he told them this. Don't wipe it off. It's a metal. And I think that the majority of the people in this room would go, that's disgusting and I don't even want to think about that. He had an eternal perspective that somehow is lost in the church today because we're more into comfort and casualness than we are to the reality of eternity. He wore it as a medal. Jesus himself rewards those who pay the price for him. Where's that message? Where's that truth today? Where's that commitment? A medal. He saw it as a jewel in a crown. William Booth said this of every preacher. All my preachers listen to me. Here's the finishing school of a preacher. May they be held over hell for 30 seconds before they teach any message. So that when they stood up and taught, it would be with the conviction that souls hang in the balance. That it matters not for me to be liked or to thought well of or for people to pat me on the back, but that people that walk in this room that don't know Christ would be convinced of the reality of an eternity without him. And that that's not his will or what he wants. And it is pure deception. Any wicked thought you have about who God is or what God wants is deception by the enemy. God is good. And his will for you is nothing but good. To rescue you. give you the last truth about heaven. Heaven is a choice and never an accident. It's never an accident. Ask the average person, how do you get to heaven? The average answer is, be good, try hard, I hope it's all going to work out. Yow! Maybe the most familiar verse of scripture John 3, 16 and 17, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Heaven is never an accident, it is a choice. Anyone in hell, I am convinced, Romans chapter 1 says this very clearly, that even a person who's never heard the truth does not stand with excuse because God writes truth on their heart. And I don't know, Rich, I don't know how it works. I'm not smart enough. I've never stood there. I do not know. Chris and I had this conversation. We don't know what happens to a person right before death. What is God able to do I don't know, but I know this. He can do more than I can do, and he can do more than you can do, and he can do way more than the lie of an enemy. God's ability to rescue anybody 
Heaven's a choice. It's not an accident. Shared with my wife. How does the message end? I knew when I wrote it, it was not a message that people would cheer. Where do you... What do you do? If what I said is true, what do you do? If you're here and and confronted with it, you didn't believe it before, but now maybe you question all of a sudden. Maybe you think, could there be a possibility? What do you do? And then the other thing that I would speak to, maybe you have realized and said, I, man, I need Christ and I need his life. But have you fallen into that camp where fear and trembling would not be the way you would describe your salvation right now? It has become more of an arrogant issue, a hardened issue. Not a thing where I recognize it's only by the grace of God go I. And where's your heart at in that? How tender are you towards that truth? How excited are you about what Jesus did for you? How much does it matter? I'm not saying theologically, but to you personally, right now. How much are you involved? How passionate are you about that? would say then in my mind the outcome of this I would hope for one of two things that if you're here and you don't know Christ blessed are you to receive an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb and he offers that to you tonight and if you find yourself in that position I the position of just not in great humility over your salvation. I think that God would want to get a hold of your heart and to so soften it so that every person you deal with can see, can taste, could touch how good he is. And that is totally, only God could do that for us. Only the Holy Spirit can get us to that. I would say, if you want to know what revival is, that is revival. To be at that place where you recognize what God has done for me now. Where are you with that issue? What do you want to do about it? Father, In the name of Jesus.
we take this time right now to allow the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us. Church, would you do me a favor? All of our campuses. And I also recognize that not everybody that's hearing our message right now is sitting in a service. Maybe you're at your house. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe you're walking on a beach someplace. I don't know. However, however you're connected to this church and to our family, I want you just coming to the same place. Let's put everything on equal footing right now. It's just simple truth and decision. At any campus point of contact, if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with Him, if you've never said, God, be merciful to me, forgive me of my sin, God, save me, if you've never said, God, I want your gift, I want eternal life, and that appeals to you right now. You say, Pastor, I want that. I say yes to that. Let's just make it that simple. You say yes to that. I'm not asking for anything else. Pastor John, I want God's gift of salvation. Would you remember me when you pray tonight? Wherever you are, this campus, any of our campuses right now, so just slip your hand up. I won't make you stand. I won't embarrass you. I'm going to pray for you. Just pray for me. Yep, yep. Okay. Yes, yep, 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 yep. Gotcha. Yep, yep. All of our campuses, Lakewood right now. It's Pastor Evan looks, Pastor Dan, Mr. DJ. Yep, just put your hands back down. Yep, thank you. Okay. Church, would you pray with me? Let's just make it easy as possible for everyone who wants this to have it. Let's just make it easy. So we're all going to pray together. If you responded, any of our campuses, I just want you to pray with me right now. Everybody together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I say yes. Yes to you. Yes to salvation. Yes to forgiveness. Yes to life. God, help me, a sinner. Just let it sit there for a minute. This isn't complicated. The complicated part was taken care of on a cross. This is the easy part now. You just say yes to him.
pray for every heart, every mind, every person. Maybe you've been deceived for a long period of time. Somehow, God is able to speak through blinders tonight. He's able to touch your mind and your heart. You you can see. You can hear maybe for the first time. I just pray that nothing would derail would get in the way of that simple truth. loves you so much and if you made that decision I've got something for you here in just a second so the second thing I'll just pray for again at all of our campuses your heads are bowed we are not looking to manipulate you or embarrass you or make you do anything just a simple thing again if your heart's just at that place it's just not with great humility that you sense the salvation of God in your life. Somehow you've just ended up, just like I said, man, in a place maybe of judgment or a place maybe of distance or maybe maybe here's a way to say it, you're just not impressed with what God has done any longer. It's not that you're against Him. You're very for Him. But somehow time and space has just ended up in that place where that that place of salvation needs to be renewed in you. That's, that's what the word is. The Lord would just renew this in you. He would refresh it in you. And if you say, John, would you remember me too? Would you pray for me tonight? Just feel that that's what I need the Lord to do in my life. Same thing. Just, yeah. If you want in on that prayer, raising your hands not any more than not, but it's just a place of contact. It's just a simple admission. It's humility. God help me. God help me. Okay. Let's put your hands back down. Father, all of our campus pastors, I want you guys to be involved in this. Make yourselves available. God, every person right now who just asks to be brought back to that that first day that joy and that excitement and that freshness of who God is and what God has done for me, how much he loves me I guess I'll just say it again I, I pray that the Lord would impress you tonight impress you with his work and impress you with what he's done for you and all I mean by that is just to remind you just to remind you just to bring you back to that place where it's fresh in you so that when you deal with this world, you deal with it from that point of view and you deal with it from that perspective, that place in your heart. I ask that the Lord touch you, strengthen you right now. Holy Spirit, we take this time to respond to you as we take communion, as we worship, as we seek out prayer right now. Father, we take this time to allow you to touch our hearts, move in our lives.
Change our perspective, God. For those who find themselves in that place and say, man, I am just, I'm right there. It is so fresh and so new in me. I pray God would take you, use you right now. You'd find yourself, you would be the very expression of the life of God to the people around you. I ask that the Lord just bless you right now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a moment. We'll take communion. We'll worship. If you made that decision tonight, you meant it. I need a relationship with God. Here's what we'd like you to do on your way out. At all of our exit, you'll find people holding on to an envelope. It's a big, great big envelope. Inside the envelope is how to have a relationship with God. Do I need that? Yes, you do. So we won't take the time to go into all the implications of it, but we'll just simply say this. The people who hand it to you are not looking um, to distract you or to get into a conversation with you, although if you want that, you can have it. But it's just how to have a relationship with God. And if you made that decision tonight, it'll be very important. There's a Bible in there. There's some other information. Just some things that we want to give you. Would you just grab that on your way out? It would be very beneficial to you in the next couple of days. Um, why don't we go ahead and stand to our feet now. All of our worship pastors, let you take the service and close it out from there. Folks, allow the Holy Spirit to have your heart during this time.